Hey, Hill City Church, uh, so grateful that you are carving out some time uh, to gather around God's word uh, together. Uh, come with me to Romans chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 1. Uh, we're going to read the chapter together. That's uh, 14 verses, so, so we're going to uh, read it together. Uh, follow along with me. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For these authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenues owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Verse eight, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, you uh, and, and excuse me, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on armor and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision to gratify the flesh or its desires. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And so now, God, we pray in these next few moments, you would give us clarity. You would give us understanding. You would give us uh, insight. Lord, that we might deal with these scriptures and that these scriptures might deal with us. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory now and forevermore. We love you, Lord. And we are your people and you are our God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a passage of scripture. Uh, let's just be quite honest. It's not easy for us to read this and then also see what we see play out uh, on our news or in our social media feeds. And so what I want us to do is to look at this text and I want us to be reminded of, of when Paul's writing it, how Paul's addressing and what's going on in the world that Paul finds himself in. This letter is to the church at Rome, a church that is diverse in its, uh, uh, in its making. It has people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different ideologies. And underneath sort of a governmental rule, and right now this church is existing under the rule of Nero. You can remember to your history classes and you can even begin to do some study. You can see that Nero was not 
a good dude. He was not a, a person that, that led well or that we would say even administered justice. He was not governed by righteousness. There was a sense that Nero is not the guy that you want to give your daughter to or not the person that you want to see kind of walk into your house trying to date your daughter. Hello. Um, the reality is, is Nero is an oppressive figure. And so then how do we navigate these texts? And what is God saying? And what is Paul saying to this church? Because this is a text that has actually been abused and a text that has been used to co-sign oppression. It's been a text that's been used to let people be more comfortable and, and maybe acquiesce to um, leadership or our governing authorities that were um, unjust and, and doing wrong. And, and what we need to say on the onset is this. This is not a text that is co-signing oppression. This is not a text where the church of Jesus is to read it and to say that we are not to be critical or that we cannot speak to power when power is gone awry. But, but this is to say and to remind us that God has called the people of God, the children of God, to behave and to conduct ourselves in a manner that does not look like culture, in a manner that does not look like maybe those that live next to us or maybe those that are engaged in, um, in anarchy. The reality is this, is this is not a passage that is saying to us as the church, as followers of Jesus, that we cannot resist evil. But again, it's a reminder from the very words of Jesus that we do not resist evil with evil means. It's a reminder to us that any authority, that any power that is, is in play on this earth is subject to the power and the authority of our God. You see, the important conversation a few chapters back when we talk about the sovereignty of God is incredibly important here where we recognize that God's sovereignty and his authority means that there is nothing that happens that God is not still supreme over. But here's the difficulty for us. There are moments when we're not comfortable with just God's eyes being on what's happening, where we want God's hands to be in motion and to be moving. When we see tragedy, when we see things that are happening in our life and in our world, we want God to respond. We, we cry for it. We long for it. We yearn. Back in Romans 8, it's that beautiful picture of creation groaning. We recognize that until the Lord returns and puts all things right, there is still going to be some chaos that's happening in our world. The Bible actually says that closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more the chaos will seem to be swelling and seem to be groaning. It's why we wait with anticipation. It's why we long for the Lord to come and to set himself up as the authority where every knee bows and every tongue confesses. What Paul's doing here is he's attaching sort of this connection, this sort of idea of relationship in chapter 12, a relationship to the, to the body of Christ. We are connected to the body of Christ. He talks about also a relationship to culture. And then here in this passage, chapter 13, we see that he kind of continues this sort of idea of the way in which we relate and the relationship that we have to authority. The way of Jesus, friends, I want you to get this. The way of Jesus is not 
anarchy. We, as the people of God, are not looking for overthrowing. We are not looking to to move and, and to siege. We, as the people of God, we are carriers of the gospel and the good news, and we long for a day when that kingdom is fully realized. We recognize that we're in a tension point. We recognize that we're at a place where, where we're, in, we're still dependent upon human rule. We're still dependent upon human government. What God wants to, us to realize and, and remember, and what he's saying here in this passage, is that God has designed his world to function in order, and God wants his people to live in order. So the principle that he's talking about here, good leadership, proper authority, they're going to govern and govern well. And you and I both know in the same way that there's fallen humanity, there is also fallen men and women that are leading in positions of power and authority. And they don't administer justice the way that we long for, the way that we, we know that God desires and that God will. Paul reminds them that any authority that is given has been given by God. It's exactly what Jesus says to Pilate before his crucifixion. He says to Pilate, this supreme figure in the Roman government, he says to Pilate, you don't have the authority to do what you're doing unless it's been given to you by God. What a picture of looking evil in the eye and saying to it, you don't have the authority that you think you do. It's not an overthrowing. It's not a coming with violence. It's not a coming with the type of muscle and might that might appease us. Isn't that exactly what Paul talked about in Romans 12, that we're not allowed to take revenge? We're not allowed to be, to be moved by these desires to get even? I find it interesting that right between this sort of passage on on anger and loving our neighbor. And Paul is about to talk about that again. Right in between this, there's this reminder that, that even in your governmental authorities, even in those that are in leadership above you, you're to honor them, you're to respect them. But I also wanna just say this to you. The Bible calls us to honor those that are honorable. The Bible calls to respect where respect is due. You and I are not supposed to applaud. You and I are not supposed to co-sign behavior and decision-making and choices that we know are outside of the plan and design of God. But we also have to keep in mind and what the scriptures are saying to us is that there is a higher governing authority that you and I as the followers of Jesus are submitted to. Yes, we submit to our local leadership. We submit to our national leadership. But we are ultimately submitted to the rule and the reign of Jesus. We are submitted to God first and foremost. Meaning this, that there is a higher authority in our life than just the elected officials. Just the governing rule that we have in our society. We need to take heart. God desires for us to live in a place that is void of chaos. Isn't this what God does? He brings order to chaos. So what he wants in the world is for there to be order, but there's not going to be the order that we long for until Jesus comes and sets it in place. But what you and I are supposed to do in the meantime is we're to be agents of the good news. We're to be agents of the gospel where we are in difficult settings and in moments and places that seem in disarray where we're putting things right 
that have gone wrong. We are working for the peace of our communities. As so much as it depends on us, we are living to be peaceable among our neighbors, to be peaceable among those that we are in proximity with. This is what the scriptures are telling us. This is what it's calling us to. These are not texts that that we should be using to get people to sit down and shut up. These are not texts that we should be using to get people to say, you can't speak to power in a way that that is not subdued. No, you and I can lift our voice. You and I can be reminded of what God calls us to do and to be people of righteousness, to be people of justice. But we don't do so by evil means. We do so in the same spirit of Christ, in the same way that Christ led us in, in the same way that Christ modeled for us in his life. You see, many of us, we want to move with a righteous anger. And really all of that is, is using a spiritual word to try to cover our our actual human fleshly desires. And listen to me, I I, want to say this, and it's it's a hard word. It's a difficult thing for us to get a hold of because it is not normal for us. Private or public vengeance is forbidden for the Christian. Private vengeance Public vengeance, this is forbidden for the Christian. It is not an option for us. It is not something that we can justify. We have to remember what we are called to do. And we are called, first and foremost, we are called to be agents of the gospel. We are called, first and foremost, to be agents of the king and the kingdom of God. And listen, that's difficult because if if you're anything like me, when you see wrong. You want to make it right. But we have to be careful that in our movement to make things right, that we don't get it all wrong. Ultimately, what, what, Jesus, what Jesus models and what Paul is reminding this church us is if you're not careful, you'll live your life in such a way that you might be proving points, that you might step in and, and have an encounter or a disagreement, or you might resist in such a way that you make a point in the moment, but you lose the effectiveness of the gospel. The ultimate goal in your life and in mine as followers of Jesus is for the gospel message to continue to move. That happens in our life and it may even happen in our death, but the gospel must continue to move. This is what we are called to. It's the highest priority in our life. If there's moments in our life where that doesn't seem to resolve or that doesn't seem congruent or that doesn't seem to feel right. We don't get to reorient this so that it does. What we have to do is understand that we have to get comfortable in the discomfort that the kingdom calls us to. Comfort is not a value of the kingdom of God. But you and I, if we're not careful, we'll live our lives in such a way where we want to construct everything so that it produces our comfort. The reality is this is sometimes the most uncomfortable situations will be the places that you'll find growth, will be the places that you'll actually find that the gospel message is moving stronger than it ever has before. Our relationship with authority, it matters. Paul moves on and talks about not just our relationship to authority, but also our relationship to the law. 
And this understanding is between two commandments on love. You, you see it in chapter 12. Now you see it here in chapter 13. And look what, look what he says. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. He says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love, in other words, is the unpaid debt that you and I both have. The Bible here gives us some practical instruction. Pay your bills. Pay your bills on time. Why? In that, there's a testimony. In that, we're not owed or we're not controlled by our debt. We are living in a, in a free posture. But here, notice what he says. He says the only debt that you need to have remaining in your life is the debt that is unpaid, which is the love of your neighbor. That, in other words, that you're going to continue to do this. Love is the focus of what Paul is talking about all through this. Don't be distracted in governmental structures. Don't be distracted in, in those things. Don't be distracted by your desire for revenge. Don't be distracted by the current of culture, but be re reminded that we're called to love. Love holds this all together, but love is the ultimate call that we have on our life. Love fulfills the law. And so what I think we have to remember here in this, as Paul is moving, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so the law now, the Torah, does not serve as the judgment over us, but it serves as a prophetic, prophetic reminder to us, a prophetic voice in our life as to how and where and when we need to move. The law reminds me that I must love my neighbor as I love myself. Paul goes back and he begins to rehearse some of the Ten Commandments. And those commandments have everything to do with my relationship with my neighbor. I won't love my neighbor if I'm taking advantage of my neighbor. I don't love my neighbor if I'm, if I'm breaking these commandments. If I'm fracturing relationship, I'm not showing and demonstrating love to my neighbor. So listen, for us, the questions are, are very, very clear. What does your relationship look like to authority? Have you found in your life that you've always struggled with authority? That you have a difficult time submitting to authority? Listen to me, again, the caveat to all of this is I'm not talking about unjust authority. What I'm talking about is our willingness to understand that there are systems at play and there are order that is designed and we're to step into that. And how, how do you deal with those things? If that's been a consistent place in your life where you felt friction, where, where maybe you feel there's always this desire to, to be the rebel or there's always this desire to, to have a resistance. I just want to caution you and I want to ask you to take that to the Lord and begin to wrestle with, do you have an issue with submission? Because if you have an issue with submission, if we cannot submit to earthly structures that we can see, we will find it very, very difficult to submit to a God who we cannot see. I'm just telling you, there are, there are things in our life where we can begin to build in spiritual disciplines, even in a physical and natural world. Ask ourselves the question here, what's the relationship like to the law? Are we fulfilling what the law has put before us, what the laws called us to? Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we push away from these things. No, when we follow Jesus, we recognize that he has paid the price, that he has fulfilled them. But yet we understand that we are still called to carry these out. We're still called to love our neighbor. 
We're still called to love our neighbor as ourself. There's a selflessness that we're called to. If we're not careful and we don't love selflessly, selflessly, then that actually for us is the beginning of sinfulness in our life. When we have pride and we have ego, if it begins to creep into the way in which we love and the way in which we do not love, sin is not far from us, friends. There's a relationship to authority. There's a relationship we have to the law. And I want you to see kind of that final thing that we see in this text is a relationship to time. A relationship to time. It's that tension place of the already but not yet. What Paul's talking about. Yes, the kingdom has come. You have experienced salvation. But there is an ultimate sort of rescue, an ultimate salvation that is to come that's not quite here yet. That already but not yet. There is this in-between. We'll talk about it a lot here at, at Hill City because the reality is we find ourselves so often in between two seasons. So often we find ourselves between the already, but the not yet. And the word of God, can I say this to you? The word of God is what helps us in these moments. It helps us in this time, from time to time, as we move the word of God steadies us. The word of God strengthens us. The word of God reminds us of where we're to be focused on. See, we've got to have an understanding of the times in which we live. So here's what I want you to do in your life. I want you to have two eyes focused, both eyes focused on what's happening in the world around you. Listen, there are moments where you need to have a break. You need to have a respite of being aware of what's going on. Too much of it, it, it begins to overwhelm, but, but we're not to be ignorant. We should have our eyes wide open. We should see what is happening. But listen, if your eyes are open and they're focused on what's happening around us, can we also have our heart fully on God? Yeah, have your eyes open and see what, what's happening, but allow your heart to be fully on God. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on our own understanding. Lean not on our own opinions. Lean not on our own point of view, but we trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. This is not just a cliche. This is not just something that is a simple phrase, but this is something that we have to get into our life as a rhythm. When I don't understand, I choose to trust the Lord. When I see things around that are tragic, I'm choosing to trust in the Lord. When there's things happening in our world that, that leave us speechless. We can feel it deep in our gut that there's just this. This isn't right. We trust in the Lord because we know that in the same way that our lives groan and long for the Lord's return, that all of creation is in harmony with us in that moment. We long for Jesus to put things right. And in between the time that we are now in the time when all things are put right, you and I, we move as agents of grace, extending mercy, extending the peace of God wherever we go. We are establishing that, friends, even in the midst of the unrest. The New Testament talks, and we use different words in terms of time. You, you have two of them as, as a keros and then a chronos. Kronos would speak in terms of chronological time. And many of us are very, very good at telling that type of time. We learned about that when we were kids. We, you remember when you would kind of not move from that digital clock, you'd move to the clock and the watches that had like arms and hands and, 
and seconds and, and you begin to look at them and you could, you could tell time. We're good at telling time from a chronological standpoint. But in terms of the scripture, when it talks about a keros time, and this is what Paul's speaking of here, we're talking about specific moments, specific point of time that is carrying crucial meaning for human life. It's an event in, in history where God is revealing or unveiling some, some eternal sort of dimension. So I, I just want to ask you this question. Can you tell time? Can you tell time beyond just the Kronos moment, but can you see and is there a sensitivity and discernment in your life where you can begin to tell time as what God is doing in that moment? Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 stresses the importance to tell time. In other words, he says this. He says, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came, this is Matthew's writing, to test them, they asked him to show him a sign from heaven. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Listen to me. We are not called to be spiritual meteorologists where we can just give people weather reports. What God desires for us is a sensitivity and an understanding of his will, of his way, of his plan, and of his time so that we might not just be people that can tell time chronologically, but we can also see and have sensitivity to when God is doing something in this moment that points to eternity, in this moment that points to his plan, in this moment that God is actually pushing back the veil that we might see what he is doing in a profound way. My prayer for my life, my prayer for your life, is that God would give us a heightened sensitivity to be able to tell the time. That God would give us a heightened awareness of where we are, not just in human history, where are we in light of eternity? What is, God, what is God up to in this moment? The Holy Spirit is not just the counselor to us, friends, but the Holy Spirit is the revealer of all things. And we pray that the Spirit of God would reveal to us. He goes on to close this and he says to the people to, to wake up. He says, listen, wait, wake up. He says that darkness is fading light is, is coming whenever you see those metaphors in scripture of darkness and light it is speaking to death and life he says that there are things that we should cast off he uses this language in other writings as well here in romans he says cast off and put on there are things in your life and mind that we must cast off we have to get rid of them there are cer certain attitudes that you need to get rid of there are certain things that you are carrying in this season that you need to get rid of. You need to take it off. You need to put it to the side. But it is not enough just to identify the things that have to be removed. We have to then actively put on Christ. Verse 14, what beautiful language. Put on Christ. And then it says, make no provisions for the flesh. When you put on Christ, we are not entertaining the flesh any longer. This points back to what we said last week. We are, are not trying to get comfortable with our vices. We are not making provisions for them at all. This is what maturity looks like, is a relationship with authority, a relationship with the law, a relationship 
to time and we recognize that we, that we put on Christ. And as we put on Christ, I believe that's how we tell time better. I believe that's how we interact with one another better. And I believe that's how we are able to sustain our witness as citizens of this earth while we await our citizenship in heaven. So church, here's how I want us to kind of close together. We gave you kind of a heads up at the beginning and we talked about it for a few weeks, but we're gonna close with communion today. And I wanna give you a moment um, to get your, uh, your elements. Why don't, you, why don't you grab them? I'm gonna get the elements here. And I wanna close, I wanna close with communion together. We, we know that communion is, is not just a, a symbol. We know that it is not just a ritual. But, but here's what I believe. I believe that there is a mysterious moment, very similar to baptism. And we know that it's water when we enter and when we come out of it. But we also know that there is something supernatural that takes place. I believe there's super, something supernatural that takes place as we take communion. I believe as we remember the broken body, as we remember the shed blood, what the Bible tells us, what Paul says, is that we're to do this in remembrance. While we are in between the already and not yet, this is the way that we reflect and remember, but this is the all, also the way in which we pronounce the coming of our Lord. And so I think in times that we, we might feel overwhelmed, in times that we might look at our world and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you to come quickly. See, sometimes the distance between the already and the not yet is painful. Sometimes it's perplexing. And I think gathering around the table of God as the family of God is a reminder that even in the pain, that it's, it's a breath. It's a moment in light of eternity. So this fixes our eyes, not just, not just away from things. This fixes our eyes on Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So the Bible says that this represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, for me. Let's take and eat. First Corinthians, Paul recounts the night of the Last Supper, how Jesus broke the bread and he shared it among his friends and his disciples. And he, he said to them, take and eat. He also says that later in that meal that Jesus took the cup. And he said that this cup represented the new covenant. No longer was the weight of the law on their shoulders, but the new covenant says that our hope, our salvation and redemption, us being made right with God, transpires through the sacrifice and the work of Jesus. Brokenness is restored. Things are put back together and right because of Christ. And so in the already and not yet, we take and we drink the emblem of his shed blood for you and for me. Would you take and drink? And now church, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we love you. 
We thank you, God, that there are moments like this that we can pause. We can reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and know that because of that sacrifice, that we can be made whole. We can be made right. So Lord, we do this just as you have commanded us in remembrance of you, but also looking forward to when we will share this meal together with you for all eternity. We love you, Lord. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, church.